0: You're listening to Whoa! Hot luck! Hot luck! Thinking of every mistake Sick of the give and the take Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real, unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and modern culture. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. Thanks so much for tuning in for this week's episode. I hope you're doing well. Like, truly, truly, truly hope you're doing well. I'm sending everybody a huge hug at the top of this episode, because uh, wherever you are in the world, but especially if you're in the United States... We're going through it, and it has been a very tough moment for humanity in general for the last several months. But um, yeah, we're, we're, dealing with, we're dealing with a lot. So I just wanted to kick off the episode with good energy, with love, and uh, solidarity, compassion. Because I'm about to get angry. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I am angry. But today's episode is about channeling anger. And uh, in light of that, since we're going to get into some darker topics. And we're going to be okay. I'm just letting you know. It's not going to get all crazy. Um, we're here to talk about tough stuff. And we've been dealing with tough stuff. So I think we're going to start and end with some positivity. Um, For those in the world that have been dealing with the pandemic dealing with all kinds of uh anxiety and loneliness and isolation and financial instability and insecurity um and just cabin fever and disillusionment with leadership and government and all the things my heart goes out to you um and then to contextualize what I'm talking about in terms of America being in a very, very tough moment in time is that uh, we have reached the straw that hath broken the camel's back (laughs) ith, And uh, we're dealing with the Black Lives Matter movement reaching a very significant milestone, a really uh, important moment in time, we've just had enough, like everybody, but especially the Black community, understandably so, in In terms of the injustice, the oppression, the mistreatment, the exploitation, the dehumanization of Black individuals. For those who don't know what has happened, a quick contextualization of this tough moment is George Floyd was a black man who was out at a convenience store market going about his life uh, was accused of having a forged $20 bill, a fake $20 bill, was arrested by four police, policemen in Minneapolis, Minnesota on Memorial Day, which is just over a week ago, which feels insane because it feels like an absolute eternity already. Um And was proceeded to be treated, honestly, worse than an animal and videotaped uh, by multiple bystanders as a white officer, Derek Chauvin, and three assisting officers who basically aided and assisted and complied with him. Uh, That officer Chauvin, former officer, put a knee to George Floyd's neck, George Floyd's neck and uh, killed him on camera, in front of everybody. He put his nearly 200-pound body body weight on George Floyd's neck and basically George suffocated to death. And um, watching that has been it just feels trite to say it's traumatizing it's it's horrific it's not the first death of a black person that we've seen on camera and for the last several years especially with social media and with technology we've had more and more exposure to the inhumane treatment the police brutality and the lack of complete lack of accountability for that brutality of numerous black individuals um but not but and uh this was coinciding with an incident uh, where Christian Cooper, who is a black man who is bird watching in Manhattan in Central Park, confronted a white woman about putting her dog on a leash, which was against the park rule that the dog not be on a leash. And the white woman, uh, Amy Cooper, and it's crazy that they have the same last name, they're not related, proceeded to exercise her very conscious white female privilege, her white privilege in threatening Christian, who had done nothing but ask her to put her dog on a leash and was recording all of this, uh, screaming at him and threatening him that she was going to call the police and tell the police that an African-American man was threatening her and her dog, which she then she proceeded to do on camera and actually did call the cops. And in the most horrific, disgusting display of just, I don't even know what to call that, but she starts crying and freaking out and telling the police that an african-american man is threatening me and my dog and for any animal lover too just like she's strangling her freaking dog on top of her being like the most wretched ass human being okay so these two things happen on memorial day meanwhile there's a pandemic going on and just thousands of people who had been advised to stay home to keep their ass at home for the safety of themselves for the safety of each other who felt like they had their rights stripped away in some ridiculous fashion by asking to take a safety precaution in light of a global pandemic thousands of people flocked to lakes bars etc to celebrate memorial day and on, on that monday we, we had those two incidents now meanwhile we're in still in the middle of a pandemic and meanwhile Brianna Taylor got shot in her own home in Louisville, Kentucky, and right before that was Ahmad Arbery who died getting shot in the street by two white racist former cops who were claiming a citizen's arrest for something that they didn't even have proof of ahmaud doing and he was just going for a jog in in the street in his neighborhood. I mean, this was just too much. It has been too much, you know what I mean? Um so there is a lot of strife that is occurring on a daily basis. There has been so much that has transpired in that week. Um, Since this video was uh, the video of George Floyd has been published, and I think it was a very painful, rude, again, another traumatizing moment of reckoning for anybody who watched that video with with a soul and a heart and two eyes and a brain to recognize how bad this problem has become and how much we cannot tolerate. We just reached that tipping point. And um, now there is a tremendous amount of protest happening. There's so much anger. There's outrage. There's pain. And uh, there's action right now. I mean, people are taking to the streets. There has been rioting and looting. There have been a lot of uh, conversations that are uncomfortable conversations, but necessary conversations that have been happening between communities, whether that be the black and the white community, the black and Asian community, that's the one that I've been heavily participating in slash observing, you know, in terms of my particular social media feed, um, between generations, between children and their parents, certainly between me and my parents, um, between friends and between you know, Facebook friends, which you wouldn't necessarily like assign as like a close friend, but people who are within each other's universes and recognizing where their stances on race relations and accountability and all lives matter versus black lives matter and blue lives matter. And dear God, it has just been it has been so insane. I mean, to say the least. And I've been saying this repeatedly on this podcast about what a crazy time it is because of COVID. We just upped the ante like tenfold because you just took something that has already been honestly just like a cancer, like a wound of a festering, disgusting part of American life and culture. And it's just it's out there. We're bleeding, you know. So now we got to figure out how to heal this wound. And there's a lot of different ways to go about it. But we're in the middle of it. And one of the biggest emotions that clearly is being expressed in this sudden outpouring and all of these um, motions for justice to be served is anger. Now, I would love to continue the conversation, and I fully intend to have more conversations about the racism itself. A Black about Black Lives Matter, about, um, just the different experiences and different opinions and the different systems that are, are not even broken, but just have been so fucked up since day one that we're, we're really recognizing and kind of dismantling right now what kinds of things we need to do to, to drive, uh, change, to create change that actually will stick and that will make a difference because there are things that we can do, um, I am not an expert in any of that. I don't claim to be an expert. And I don't ever feel like I ever will be. I'm simply a citizen of Los Angeles, of California, of the United States, of humanity. And I care like this is stuff that I have in my in my universe, in Asian American culture, integrated into who I am because I've grown up with black culture very much being a part of uh Uh, an influence on me and something that I treasure and love Um, and I've felt a lot of pain towards everything that's been happening for so many years and having close proximity to it having grown up in the Bay Area um, having been on the train right before the train where Oscar Grant was shot (laughs) things like that you know like I've uh, grown up near it and I have my own feelings about it and I've also been heavily involved with the Asian American community, and I see lots of different intersections there, a lot of problematic things, some very understandable things, some very difficult, complex things. We just need to talk about it. So I'm not an expert, but I want to dive in. You know, the time is now. We got to talk about these things. It's going to be, per usual, uncomfortable. But that's a, an area of life that I'm fairly comfortable with being. Like it's, I just have accepted that uncomfortable stuff is uncomfortable. It's just, it's always going to be that way. And um, I just, my life is more about having an impact and having courage because I've spent a lot of my life being scared and withholding myself, withholding my opinion or having a barrier between me and the thing that will drive my own soul growth, my own education, my own betterment as a human being so i'm just too old for that and there's too many things that need to happen in order for us to really move forward as a people for us to continue to have faith in each other and to rebuild trust or to have any sort of trust in systems that have had little to no trust um to make the world better, even if I don't end up being a mother, you know, knock on wood, but my friends have children, like there are still people here that I care about, that I care to do (laughs) work to help make change. So those conversations are coming. I'm, I'm putting out multiple disclaimers because we're all just people and we're all learning. So I'm not claiming to be an expert. I simply care about having these conversations. But what I do feel comfortable right now, in this moment of what I'm witnessing, what I'm personally experiencing, and what I feel comfortable talking about is anger. Um, And that's something that's very acute. And I feel like in light of everything that's happening, it's kind of like this wound that is bleeding the most right? Um, Because eventually the anger will subside. It will happen. But right now we're kind of just really in the thick of it. And there are people that are dealing with it in varying ways. And I'm not here to judge or tell them what's right or wrong. We can look at any situation from multiple angles and see its merit. You can see its roots. You know, there are people that will say that rioting and protesting is absolutely ludicrous, that it's counterproductive, that it's insane and like then we can look at it from the other side and be like, you know, the the it's not even a, a riot, it's a rebellion. It's a rebellion of people who are oppressed. But then there's also, like, I can cut this in so many different ways because I've been doing my research and trying to understand it from different angles, too. There are people that are getting planted to incite violence. There are tons of protesters, peaceful protesters who are out there trying to just get a message across and are clearly drawing a line, telling the people who are involved in said protest to keep it peaceful, and There are assholes out there. There are evil forces out there that are exploiting and undermining these peaceful protests for their own evil reasons, okay? There are things—I'm not saying all of them. I cannot quantify that, but it's happening, and there's video evidence of this. There are proven cases of this, and to what degree we can trust or rely on media to cover all of these nuances. I mean, there's just so much, so, you know, right now it's really like a power to the people moment. There's a lot of division and there's so much anger again. So I don't know. I don't uh, I uh, so I'm not here to talk about the politics of that. I'm here to talk about the emotion itself. That part to a large degree, I'm not expert, but I'm really like familiar with it. And it's really interesting because I I'm very uh, I'm very honored and slightly overwhelmed, but mostly just honored that there are certain friends that are reaching out to me in order to process their anger and. Interestingly, because they know that I'm comfortable with my own anger. um, and they're not. And so they're just asking me to help walk with them. And I'm blown away. I'm I'm, I'm like laughing about it because I'm like, well, shit. Um, and there are a lot of people also who know me as a really, really happy, positive, joyful person, which I am. But I've joked about it, especially in this space in my first of all podcast because I'm I'm still unpacking it and I'm still accepting this part of me that the way I look at myself is that I ha- I have been to a degree I still am maybe I always will be I have a lot of rage you know I've joked about it that I'm a very stereotypical angry Korean girl and for those of you who don't know anything about Korean culture, Korean people got a lot of a lot of rage and also disclaimer I'm probably gonna cuss a little bit more in this episode because you know what? Your girl is tired. I'm exhausted emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. And I just, this is also my space to have a little bit of therapy. So please bear with me and pardon my French. Um, yeah, so Korean people have a stereotype for anybody who knows being particularly angry. And that has actually helped me. I didn't want to use that as a crutch, but it has helped me accept certain parts of myself and have some humor about it because just having a a basic awareness of it is very foundational, I feel like, for learning how to deal with it. Now, some people are going to just land there and stay there and just identify and be like, I'm just an angry person. For me, um, where I'm currently at and why I want to be able to talk about it is that I'm at a place in my life, especially in light of all of the overwhelming feelings in general that have been swirling around because of COVID, everything that has come up in my life personally because of my breakup with my last ex-boyfriend, just my age and where I'm at in life and the amount of things I've observed around me in my community, I'm just tired. You know, it's, uh, I don't want it to be the thing that I resonate with too strongly anymore. The amount of anger that I've experienced, expressed, had to clean up after especially has worn me the fuck out I am so tired okay so while I accept that for a large part of my life for very strong and obvious reasons has existed I don't want to identify as like I'm an angry person me personally um I just don't want it to be a predominant trait of mine you know what I'm saying you know why? Because I always know I'm going to get pissed off. I get pissed off every day. But to identify that as like who I am, that's a whole other thing. You know what I mean? So having been a person that I identified as as an angry person, um, and especially the series of events that led me to the last six months in particular, that I really started to unpack my own anger to identify it, to understand it, to accept it, and to take actions like through forgiveness and therapy and meditation, all these other things, to, to process it, I feel like I'm in a better place to speak on it and just hopefully be a space where other people can understand and process theirs. That's why I'm talking about this. It's not to put gasoline on your fire, but it's to understand and give space and acknowledgement to your fire, because I know that fire so fucking well, so well. Okay, Um, again, to reiterate why or how I've kind of exhibited anger. And funnily, because people in general, like the the masses might perceive me as like a happy, joyful person. Well, yeah, because when I'm out with people that I'm socializing with and that I, I love and that I enjoy and I'm doing things and I'm passionate about, like collaboration or doing an acting gig or something, I'm a really happy person. I'm in like my element. I'm just living my best life. But um, I've dealt with a lot of anger in my personal relationships, primarily my family and um, I'd say the main recipients of my anger have been my family. Uh, not even really close friends. I haven't had very many fights with friends. I Honestly, one of my best friends, Linda, I've been friends with since I was nine. So we've been friends for like 26 years. We've gotten in probably two fights, three fights maybe. And those were like roommate fights, but they were significant. But for the fact that we've been friends for 26 years and fought thrice, like that's a pretty good rate. I think that's normal. But um, I've definitely had anger towards boyfriends. Not every boyfriend, but certain ones, it it got bad in terms of like fights Um, and definitely anger towards authority, Um, poor leaders and figures that I I despise or think that are particularly despicable. I've had a lot of anger towards that, Um, towards institutions like church um, and, and corrupt leaders and just shitty people in general. Those are things that have pissed me off on a very, very fundamental to the core of my soul level. There have been times where like my family, like the level of anger that I express to them and the the degree to which they can unravel me in a very quick amount, like a very short amount of time. Uh, my family has asked me like, they've worried about me. They're like, are you okay? Like, Are you okay at work? Like, they genuinely worried about my ability to function in public settings. And I had to lay it down for my family. Like, no, I'm great, actually. If you put me in any setting except you guys, I'm great. Actually, I'm a delight. Like, I'm happy. I'm good. I'm laughing. I'm just helpful Don't even, you don't need to worry about me at work. You don't need to worry about me at school because those people do not piss me off the way that you do. You know what I mean? Like I had to have that conversation. And now I can look back on that and laugh. And my family and I still do fight, but our fights have significantly diminished. But they still have that special, wonderful, miraculous ability to like completely dismantle me in such a short amount of time. And anybody out there who's like family issues knows what I'm talking about. It is a very special superpower of rage. Like they just know what to like, they have a look or they have a a cough or like a sigh or like a roll of their eyes or just some bullshit that they do that just like triggers you and you're like, what? What? What is it? And I definitely have that with my family. I love my family. I speak so highly of them. And I, you know, anybody hurts my family, like I'll fight you. Not even, not even a question, but it's like that special space that you have. Like I have that relationship, that closeness and that history with them that, yeah, like we throw down, we also fight. So it kind of goes hand in hand. I don't like that that's the case, but sometimes the things that are closest to us that have the most meaningfulness to us that kind of tap into a very, very raw, vulnerable side. Those are people, those are, uh, things and people that can really bring that out of you. It's like touching a raw nerve. You know what I mean? Like nobody—you're guarded and protected from that, from everybody else. Unless you have, like, really annoying coworkers. but that's an annoyance. That's not the same as having, like, complete and utter anger and rage. You know what I mean? And that's stuff that I've really had to uh, face, honestly, for all of my adult life, but in a more objective, clinical way uh, lately. I'd say in the last, like, few years, especially just with— the accumulation of this anger. And that's the issue with like, when it comes to emotions and understanding them, I have a better understanding of my my feelings because I grew up being very aware that I was a sensitive emotional person. My family was the first one to make me very aware of that. They actually, again, they worried about me because I've just been a crybaby. Everything made me cry, whether I was like sad, mad or happy, like not as much like I didn't cry that much when I was happy, but I just get really, really worked up when I'm happy. They could tell like I'm a hypersensitive person. So I think they always were concerned that you know, any little thing would make me cry. And I can understand that, but they'd always just make me really aware. Like, But they did kind of like negative reinforcement of like, stop being so sensitive, stop being so sensitive, stop crying, stop crying, stop crying, stop being so emotional. I heard that message a lot throughout my life. And um, for a long time, I was always looking at my emotions as like my Achilles heel. It was like my flaw. It was my liability in life. But what I've learned through experience And through becoming a more uh, resilient person, a strong person, having actual emotions and still dealing with it and finding a way to survive and thrive. Um, Personally, at this point in my life, in my mid-30s, I look at my emotions as my superpower. Being hyper aware of what my feelings were, having the benefit of being a girl so that like there was more acceptance for me to be able to have feelings because God forbid my brothers or like any of the guys around me have feelings, they would get their ass kicked. I would get yelled at to just like stop crying because I was being maybe annoying or just like tiresome to people. But yeah, my heart goes out. I watched, you know, my brothers and like my cousins and like friend, guy friends, like my boyfriends, they've not had an easy time processing feelings. They are ridiculed or chastised or just straight up beaten down verbally or physically for crying for having feelings. So for that that's why I do feel to an extent like I've been able to cultivate some level of expertise of feelings. I'm a very sensitive person. I've been very hyper aware of them since a very, as far back as I can remember. I can remember all my feelings and I can remember a person. I can remember how they made me feel. And that's a skill set, like to be able to identify feelings and how to um, process them or just deal with them. That is a life skill that I understand more and more now as an adult is necessary for any human being, especially from early childhood, to be able to do. Now, mine wasn't perfect. I grew up with two conservative Christian Korean parents. My mother was extremely affectionate, but my dad was very stern, very stoic. He grew up in a very, very messed up childhood in Korea, you know, after the war with a super, super strict very strict, um, painful relationship with his father without a mother. Um, You know, my dad had a really rough time. My mom didn't. So I grew up with kind of the yin and yang of that. Um, And I watched my brother get the tough end of the stick with that, too. So I grew up with my own set of like childhood trauma. I've been around a lot of anger. My dad was a very volatile person. He's a lot more chill now, but the vast majority of my life I've like had to witness and be around anger in my household and learn how to navigate it, learn how to um, put it out, how to tiptoe around it, how to prevent it, how to deal with it once it pops off, how to dissipate it. Like I've just dealt, been around it and then I've also had it myself. I've also learned from my stance that um that generational trauma it's not even just like the nurture aspect of it that it's passed down from just being environmentally around anger abuse violence what have you all that that is true but also that there's more and more evidence scientifically that we inherit trauma through our dna so when i actually found out that might have only been a few years ago Light bulbs went off in my my mind and my soul. There was a validation that just kind of actually alleviated me. It made me sad. I was like, oh my God, that is so sad. But like the bio geek in me was like, that's amazing. Like on what RNA, what DNA, how does that work? How does it replicate? I wanted to know that. But just to understand that that was a thing really rocked my world because it made so much sense, at least. Like why certain things were just automatic. You know what I mean? Like, why certain things could set me off and, and cause so much pain. You know, even on a rational level, I was aware this isn't that big a deal, but I'm so upset. You know? Um, that's a thing. So if anybody's interested in researching more on that, I definitely am and I would love to learn more. I'd love to explain it more on this podcast. But just understanding like root causes, environmental, genetic, um Lots, lots of anger in my life. And, um, you know, there's all these connected dots, but I, I did have an abusive relationship that I went through when I was 14 to 19. Prior to that, you know, just varying levels of tough stuff at home. And I've had a lot of anger towards authority. Y'all know my issues with the word should. Um, but a lot of people, I feel, put a lot on me in terms of like who I am, what I am supposed to be, how I am palatable to other people, how I am expected to conduct myself, what things I'm supposed to like, um, who I'm supposed to like, how I'm supposed to like them, and wh- who <laughs> in this world matters so much more in terms of having their, their happiness be above mine. For that and so many reasons I've yeah I've I've been pretty pissed off. So if you have in any way experienced inklings of what I've gone through, I'm with you and it makes sense. And if we were to take time to kind of sit there and evaluate and kind of line itemize the things that we experience as human beings in terms of uh cultural expectations in terms of racism, in terms of sexism, in terms of classism, in terms of just our own self-hatred for whatever stupid reason that we are influenced, you know, to believe some some bullshit about ourselves. It all makes sense. And that's honestly where therapy comes in is such a great, useful tool. But not all of us either have the luxury or the, the funds or the time or the capacity to get therapy, but it's still something I really, really encourage and hope that people, we can strive for, and hopefully that even something like this podcast can serve as therapy for you. Um, It's real. That anger is real. And it's really interesting for me to give myself some grace in channeling my anger because it's letting myself off the hook to recognize I'm not angry just for fun. Like, I'm not doing, I'm not having all of these, like, horrible volatile, like overwhelming, all-consuming, problematic, destructive feelings. I'm not—I didn't—I didn't didn't just get angry for fun, you know what I mean? And looking at it that way has actually helped me because it makes me be more objective about it and be more accepting of the fact that I, too, am a human being and that there were things that happened, there are experiences that occurred, there were forces at play and it's not to play victim. It's just to make sense of it. Do you know what I mean? To understand that there were things that happened to bring me to where I am now. One example. Like, I get angry with how I feel about my body. Okay? Um, I've been very fortunate to receive a lot of wonderful compliments and validations regarding external beauty but me inside of my mind I feel like I'm just starting to really accept and appreciate how I look in my mid-30s I'm about to be 35 it's three and a half decades of mostly hating myself And hating my body and hating my face and hating my features. And I could break, I could line itemize this for you for the next six hours and tell you all the things that I have hated about myself. When I've broken it down and when I feel like so angry and disempowered, I have recognized, you know, things like just being angry towards my Korean culture. The fact that I was told before I was even 10 years old by two family members very close to me that I needed to get plastic surgery. That's just fucked up. I can't imagine, like, having a daughter and telling her at eight years old that she needed to get her eyelids cut, right? That that would make her pretty. And on top of the fucked up messaging that, like, being pretty is the most important thing, that was also a very predominant message that I received through very many means, not just my Korean culture, but definitely even from American pop culture, um, that being desirable and being objectified and being hot is the ultimate, like, Thing to aspire to be. It's not to be smart. It's not to be helpful. It's not to be a good person. It's to be pretty. It's to be fuckable, right? Like that message has been so reinforced, which then counters with this self-hatred that I've had, that I am this ugly monster for XYZ reasons, that my eyes are too small, but that my nose is too this, that I'm too fat. And just this ongoing cycle of self-hatred and self-sabotage and self-doubt and lack of confidence and the things that it has prevented me from participating in and things that I haven't enjoyed in life, like going to the fucking beach or swimming pool because I didn't want to show my body by not letting people look at me from a certain angle because I didn't want them to look at my profile. This was up until my mid to late 20s that I was like this, that I didn't want to let anybody look at me from the side because I was so self-conscious about my forehead and about my nose and my chin. Like, and the fact that I had spent so much of this precious time that is even heightened more now in COVID-19, how precious time and life and our minds and our energy is, how much I quantifiably wasted hating myself and obsessing about my looks when I could have been reading a good book, when I could have been watching an amazing movie, when I could have been writing the next great American novel or the next amazing film or screenplay or learning something or spending time at a park enjoying trees. I don't know. To look back on my life and to know that I wasted so much time on something that ultimately had so little use and value makes me so angry. It makes me angry it did make me angry at myself. I'm, I've let myself off the hook, but it has made me very angry towards culture. It's made me angry towards the patriarchy. It has made me angry towards my family. Like, why did you say that stuff to me? Why did why why were you OK with telling me that as a child that completely warped my mind for the entirety of my almost adulthood? And those are things that I've had to process. And, uh, you know, and then that branches off into entering destructive relationships with like shitty Damaged, not even men is not the right word. Damaged guys, and and then watching our president talk about grabbing pussies and then getting into the White House and talking about dating his daughter and like all of it, you know, all of it, it makes me mad at K-pop. It's just like all of it, right? um I have a lot of anger. And this is, like, I just want to say, this is a multiple— I've recorded this episode multiple times at this point. This is the most watered-down version. Um, I've popped off, and I just— I said things I didn't want to end up publishing. So this is my my version that I'm good with. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a lot. What I learned through processing and channeling my anger is that anger is a secondary emotion. Uh, anger is not the first thing that we're arriving at. It's like the place we're arriving after we feel something else. And that, some, that fact on top of like the fact that we can inherit trauma through our genes and ha- kind of be predisposed genetically to like anxiety and, and to be triggered and... Um, things that can kind of heighten our fight or flight senses and just not feeling safe and feeling threatened, understanding that anger was the result of another feeling was really revelatory to me, Um, that there's something in between you being at neutral, you felt something and then you got angry. You know what I mean? So that was something that I really have thought a lot about and it's helped me again, step back from that anger and try to understand it on a more objective level. Now, for me, over time, I've really come to learn that I get angry when I feel disrespected, when I feel like I'm disrespected, when I'm belittled, when I'm condescended to, when I'm not honored as an equal human being, when I feel unsafe, when I feel objectified, when I feel just mocked, or ridiculed or dehumanized in some way, again, so many different things. When I feel those things, I get pissed. When I feel like there's injustice, not even to me, but to other people, when there's injustice on other people, pisses me the fuck off. When other people are disrespected, dehumanized, dishonored, you know, and they were doing nothing to deserve that, I get pissed off. Um, When someone threatens someone else's safety, completely unnecessary, completely power-tripping, egomaniac, narcissism sounds familiar, White House, um, I get pissed off. So to understand that there's something in between that helped me unpack that. So if that's something that can be helpful to anybody else to understand that anger is not the primary emotion, that it's a secondary emotion, it's something to really think about. And something else that I discovered in uh, investigating anger was reading a book called Anger by a Vietnamese monk that was just really, really beautiful and very just soothing in this very beautiful Buddhist way to step away out of my feelings and to understand anger as a philosophical concept, as this thing that we experience but is not who we are. And this quote really stuck with me, and I think it'll stay with me forever, that anger is pain set on fire. It's pain set on fire oh my god I think I cried immediately reading that that it's I'm hurting and I don't know what to do with it so I'm getting angry and damn that was just like a moment and if that's something that can be chewed on and thought about putting that out there honestly I also might be misquoting so please look it up um so that I'm not misquoting it It was around the time that I was reading this book. So I think that it's uh, anger is pain set on fire. And to understand that has helped me identify, have more self-awareness. Because here's the thing. What I'll say about my anger, how I feel when I get angry, and I can feel it in my body again, very familiar with it, is that it's like a fire that spreads from the center of my being to like the tips of my fingers. And it's like, I've joked about it, but it's like, I feel like I'm becoming the Hulk. And that frightened me. It made me shameful that I'm like, that I become the Hulk. It's funny to think that you are a comic book anti-hero like what is the Hulk I don't even know I don't follow a lot of like comics so I just know that this guy goes from being a total normal dude to being like a complete monster instantaneously that's how I felt and what I have also described it to like my friends who are who are scared of anger and who've stayed away from anger and really done everything in their uh, willpower to not get into that angry space I've described myself when I when I go there And when I'm set off, like really, it's like I'm intoxicated by it. Like it's like it's an overpowering force. And that's some dangerous shit. And I can, I'm putting myself out there because it's something that I've accepted about myself and I've had a lot of shame and guilt over it, but it's a real part of who I am or who I was and we need to break down the shame around it because it is a very real universal shared experience for us to understand it, for us to like harness it and to channel it and to do something with it. We need to call it what it is. You know what I mean? That's just where I'm at in life. The same way I feel about racism. We can't fix problems that we didn't identify as a problem. You know, what I mean, the identification of the problem is where we start in solving it. So, it is. you. I have gotten drunk off of anger and I have I've literally destroyed things. I, I am not proud of this. This is actually one of the most like embarrassing things to admit in public. I've broken things. I've put holes in walls. To a lot of people who know me, it's probably the last thing you think that I would do because I'm usually hugging people and smiling and like, again, that's all very real. That is me. But in dark moments where I have felt completely out of control, when I've been so hurt and so disrespected or felt so out of control because I was so consumed by my rage, I've I've broken things. Besides the physical stuff, besides, like, outward violence, which in the grand scheme of things in my anger have been very, very, very minimal. Well, no. Well, there's that. Like, I haven't broken that much stuff, but I, I have put two holes in two different walls. I'm very sorry to my mom and dad. One of them was in their bedroom. Um, that was when I was a teenager. It was really bad. And um, I've broken, like, gifts. Um and then road rage. I mean, that might be a very universal feeling, but like I've gotten in cars and I've driven angry and that's scary because again, it's like one thing to be self-destructive and it's very, very frightening to be, to be jeopardizing the lives of other people. You know what I mean? Um, and when I say drunk on anger, I mean, you're drunk driving. You're not in complete control of yourself. You're not in a sober, clear mindset. And it's um, It's scary. But besides any, like, physical outward violence of anger, I've—I learned through being a tiny Asian woman that um, my brain, because I don't have a lot of physicality that I can utilize in terms of overpowering other people, um, it was my brain, and it was my mouth, and it was my my ability to be, like, an emotional terrorist that was my weapon of choice. So in my anger, I know for a fact that I've hurt, like, intentionally, consciously hurt people— really badly, like people I care slash cared about deeply. I have said things that when I think back on the things that I've said, I know people in my life that have blocked out things that they, because I remember everything. I'm kind of like, because I'm so emotional and so sensitive. I remember a lot of words that were said to me. Um, And people have forgotten. I have not forgotten. And when I remind them, that's when it jogs their memory. And they do remember, like, they also have like blocked it out because they're like, Maybe because they're ashamed of it. They feel so guilty. They don't want to associate that dark part of themselves with themselves. But when I remind them, it's like a huge like, oh shit, I cannot believe I said I did say that. Oh my God. And like they're filled with so much guilt and shame. People do that. you know. These survival mechanisms, because we go there into these dark spaces, these dark, dark places, and these dark versions of ourselves. And it's easier to block that out than to like come face to face with it and remember it. And when I remember things that I've said, Um, it, there are times where like, I would like look through old text messages with exes and like see things that I said out of complete rage because I was hurting. I wanted to just inflict pain back and I did, you know, times 10. I just feel so shameful and I feel so guilty that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and the power of my ability to cut somebody where I know it will hurt and I used it, you know with impunity, I just like went for it. I went for the jugular. I just like attacked and was so consumed by that anger. Man, it's not a good, it's not a good look. It's not a good feeling. It's not a good place to be. And that's why I want to like have space for that to be acknowledged and to admit that of myself, because these are emotions that I think a lot of people now are feeling. When I look back on why I was so angry, there are a lot of justifiable reasons because I was blatantly abused or disrespected. There are times where I definitely wasn't. It was just like triggering because somebody had touched a very raw nerve because they had unknowingly or maybe sometimes knowingly pushed a button of mine that maybe they knew or didn't know would be that explosive, but it did explode something in me and I reacted very strongly. That is the stuff that right now is happening just like left and right in this current situation that we're in. And I want people to understand just to understand it, not to condone it and not to like praise it or applaud it or shame it or whatever. It's just to understand it. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just be able to identify it and be like, this is coming from someplace real. We were not born angry, hateful, vengeful creatures. We were born pure, perfect, innocent little babies. And somewhere along the line, we experienced things. We were hurt. We hurt others. And we experienced a life that that created a space for us to have this kind of anger, because it is learned behavior. And it's something that is a wound that maybe is like someone sticking their finger in, we can also learn how to heal that, you know what I mean? And that's the part like where I've been at in wanting to learn how to harness the anger, channel it. Because when I look back and evaluate all the things that have brought me here, through so many different emotions, including anger, and being able to look at the things that I've done and why I've done them, anger has also been a huge force of good in my life because I was able to kind of alchemize it and transmute it and take that anger and put it into something good. And those are things that I really wanted to further investigate upon and make a conscious decision That A, I didn't want anger to run me anymore because I've dealt with enough negative consequences of destruction and bad relationships and hurting other people, feeling like a complete shit person afterwards. Because that's the difference. When you do something out of complete anger and just rage and destruction, you do not feel good after that. It is such a momentary high. It's definitely a high, which I get, right? And You need that release of just, it's energy. It's just such pure raw energy. But when you do things out of rage, I would put good money on the fact that like you're not going to feel good about it afterwards. You're not going to feel proud. You're not going to feel like you did the right thing. Maybe in a righteous anger, you will feel like it, but eventually that will wear off and you will not feel good. You won't feel 100% good that you acted with dignity, with respect, self-respect, with honor, with uh, kindness, Because these, I think, are intrinsic parts of us as people that we don't want to hurt other people and we don't want to be hurt. That's why it feels so shitty, you know? So when we do things to inflict pain on others and when we are, we're hurting ourselves too and that does not feel good at the end of the day, right? I've had enough examples, enough data has been accumulated at this point to understand I don't like who I am when I do things purely out of anger, but when I can separate myself from the anger, when I can step back from it and understand it, where it's rooted from, and to also give myself some forgiveness and grace that that anger is not who I am, that I am not my feelings, that the feelings are an extension of, of me. It's something I'm experiencing. But that anger is not me. I'm not I I'm not angry. I'm I am not anger. You know what I mean? I believe that I am light and joy and love I like when I feel those things I feel the most myself I don't know how to explain that and we'll, we'll take another podcast discussion and like go into more of that because it is something that I'm really enjoying learning more about um, but I believe at my core I feel the most myself when I'm happy and when I'm joyful when I'm peaceful when I'm harmonious with life and with people around me that's when I feel most myself that's when I feel light and purposeful and when i'm angry i feel far away from myself even though the, like the purity of that anger sometimes i don't know i don't want to get too spiritual about it but i do feel like I'm, I'm touching on something very pure and real but again the darkness of it i don't feel like really is is me the the me that i care to be you know what i'm saying i don't know anyway um so in channeling anger it's identifying it it's accepting it it's having space for it. And then right now, what I'm learning how to do is again, step away from it. That's where meditation has honestly changed my life. Now, I know that people have heard people get recommended meditation like a gazillion and a half times. I too have experienced the same marketing and the same recommendations from all these wonderful, wonderful people saying, you know, meditation changed my life. And sometimes it's like you just got to wait until you're ready. And maybe we're ready. Honestly, I'm going to be a broken record about it because meditation has already been like proven on scientific level to enough data to say it can literally change your brain. It can change your gray matter. And the things that I learned in terms of just breathing and learning how to quiet my own thoughts and learning how to get through a negative emotion, how to separate myself from it, to let myself feel it, But to remember on a conscious level, like that emotion is not me. It's just something I'm feeling. And that is a very microsecond to microsecond process to like get through maybe like five seconds of anger. It can feel like an eternity because you're really just trying to be patient. Trust me, I know it's not easy, but it's still a very worthwhile practice. And the more that you practice anything, you get better at it, right? Meditation for me at the beginning was like torture you you might as well be like this is terrible like Chinese water torture water boring. I don't know like it was the worst thing I could not sit there and like be quiet and silently breathe deep breaths in and out for 30 seconds it felt like an eternity and I wanted to just like scream okay but now I can do 20 minutes of sitting there breathing and it it feels wonderful to me that's how much I have changed and I think about a matter of a year Um, Again, it's not like an overnight thing, but meditation has literally changed the way that I interact with my own brain and my own emotions. And for somebody that has been as volatile and as temperamental, as trigger happy as I am, I take that as a pretty significant miracle for myself. I know the way that my brain has processed. I know the the degree to which I can just turn on a dime and get so upset and how much it consumes me and how many bad decisions I've made because of that. Things I regret, things that hurt people, things that I felt shameful or regretful or just like not like a good person. I have way more trust in myself now, you guys. Not like 100%. Like I still got to keep an eye on me, you know? Because your girl still got a temper, like, but I accept that. And at least I have something, somewhat of a more confidence in myself to trust that I'm not going to fly off the handle immediately the same way that I did before. That's a big deal. To be able to trust yourself is a big freaking deal. So I just really cannot recommend meditation more as a process to learn a process and a practice to learn how to separate yourself from your feelings, how to breathe through it, how to identify it. And I don't hate my anger anymore. That's the weird thing. Because I have the separateness from it, anger, it is what it is. And there's part of me that just appreciates it because I'm like, yo, this is a force. This is power. When I feel angry, I feel powerful. That's why that's also very dangerous. You get drunk on power. You feel invincible sometimes. And that's what's happening in like people just lighting shit on fire or hurting other people. It is, there's so much behind that. And it's pain set on fire, right? And now you're angry and now you feel like. In that moment, nobody can touch me. I don't give a fuck what happens to me. You can take me to jail. You can kill me. I don't care. I'm so mad that I'm willing to put it all on the line. I'm willing to like compromise my safety, the the well-being of everyone around me who cares about me. I'm willing to put all that aside and just act on this anger because in this anger, I feel invincible. I've watched that anger. It's not even that I've just experienced it. I've witnessed it in my own family. I watched it in my own community. Every like almost every Korean American guy that I know, I know y'all have it in you. A lot of Korean American women who feel that rage and just don't know what to do with it and sometimes turn around and inflict that on themselves. I've seen it in every version. You know what I mean? Um, That's why it's good to separate from it and to acknowledge it for what it is, and to see that it is powerful. And then through that, recognize for me that that power is something that I don't want to necessarily lose, but I think about where I want to put it. That's true power is being able to maneuver your own feelings, your own thoughts, your own, your actions and your behavior, your intellect into something that serves you, that serves the actual outcome that you want, and that's where people got to do that work, and that's maybe what COVID and quarantine has already been kind of creating an environment to facilitate. Is think about what do you want? What are the priorities? What are the values that you you give a shit about? Right in this in this battle against racism, we want justice. We want equality. We want to walk around and not feel unsafe. And we I'm even seeing we black people. I want my black brothers and sisters to not feel like. That anybody who steps to them is going to attack them or that they're going to give them a slur or look down on them or make assumptions about them. I feel the same exact way as a woman, as an Asian American. I do not want people to feel like they can take advantage of me, that they that they can exploit me, that they can abuse me, that they can do things to me that I won't speak up because I'm Asian. They expect me to be subservient and quiet and demure and all this stuff. I don't, that's not what I want. I want respect. I want harmony. I want peace. I want uh, friendship. I want camaraderie. I want teamwork. You know, these are things that I want. If those are the things that we want, we want justice too on top of all these things. Those are the things to keep in mind. And it's really freaking hard to keep what you want, what you actually want in mind when you're in that state, when you're angry. But it's something to think about, preemptively. That's why we got to sit back and look at that before we even reach that that point of where we're like already there. It might be too late at that point. You know what I mean? So we have to think about it now. We have to think about it in the moments of calm. We have to think about it when we're not angry, period, because eventually something's going to happen to trigger you to get there. And maybe those triggers will change because that's hopefully what we're going to do as we mature, if and when I have a family, if someone messes with my children, I don't, I'm preemptively angry. I don't even have kids. But if somebody messes with me or my my nieces and nephews, or like whatever, I, I will go full on mama bear rage on them. You know what I mean? <laughs> and because I know that, I need to prepare. I need to have some sort of breathing technique or something to calm me down before I do something. I, you know, pick up a truck and throw it at somebody because I could very well do that. Don't mess with mothers. I'm, <laughs> I just know this intrinsically, intuitively will rip your head off. You know, I feel like I'm a mother before I'm a mother. It's just something to think about. And also in terms of tools, you know, meditation and, and therapy have been so instrumental for me to process my anger and to really think about what it is that I want, and how I want to conduct myself. And having been this quote-unquote angry person for the last, you know, decades of my life, I've also been able to gather evidence of like where my anger has been completely useful. I'd say a lot of my anger has been great for my activism work. The work that I've done with with collaboration, part of it was just like being so inspired and so enamored and happy and like wowed and seeing such cool artists and being around them and having a great time. But a huge chunk of why I got into collaboration and why I felt so dedicated to serving the Asian American community in this capacity as as a leader or whatever, dealing with tons of different complex issues and politics and competition and bullshit popularity contests and all that is because I have felt anger towards Hollywood. It's because I had anger towards the stereotype against white supremacy, against the patriarchy for like trying to emasculate Asian men and fetishize Asian women. I had so much anger towards that, that I channeled that anger to, oh, so you're going to tell me who you think I am. No, I'm going to tell you who I think I am. I'm going to elevate my brothers and sisters and we are going to tell you exactly who we know we are. And that's come from anger, you know, in part, not in totality. Partially in like pride and celebration and joy, but part in complete anger. And that's where I think that channeled anger, when it's intended to serve a bigger purpose, a purpose that is constructive, that is meant to ideally, again, we have to identify those things to inspire, to empower, to celebrate, to provide joy, to give space for therapy, for catharsis, for healing, for understanding. Those are all things that I identified over the years of what my work does and can do and to accept and understand that when i see the opposite of that when i hear asian americans be laughed at and and asked to do stupid bullshit accents or tokenized or whatever you know when i have those experiences have those terrible bumps of racism that still exist to this day again clearly we're not over this racist hump we're dealing with it right now that that will flare up that anger again. There's plenty of incidences over the last several years that have like pissed me off, even internally from the are my, I could go on for days about all the problems within the community of like the lack of gratitude, the entitlement, the, the laziness, like. I'm not trying to shit all over my community, but there have been examples like where I'm like, why am I doing all this work? You know, I get mad. <laughs> I'm, like, I, there's it's not just me. It's like me and like my my friends, my colleagues, the people I love, like we're out here working our asses off and this is how you guys are going to act. Like I'm done with all of you. Like I've had anger towards even like, you know, within it's not just all out towards white people and white supremacists. There's just a lot. But those things have been channeled, transmuted, turned into gold, like that's why I say the word alchemy, is taking something negative and turning it into something positive, something that I can stand behind with pride, with integrity, with honor, with joy, because that's what I want at the end of the day. When I do something vengeful or purely out of anger, and it's just to like give a middle finger to somebody, sometimes I feel like I do that with Donald Trump. But like, at the end of the day, I feel like I'm doing it because I'm defending Humanity, so I don't feel that bad because he's been given enough chances to be a decent human, and he's just not. Um, anyway, it's it's. I think about the outcome, so I really want to encourage people in this moment of like so much raw energy, raw anger, raw emotions, raw nerves, and we're exhausted. Right in these in these periodic moments of quiet, to really think about what it is that we want to do. What do we want to do? What do we want to have? How do we want to feel? Think about those things. And this will apply outside of racism. It applies to interpersonal relationships, whether with your family and your partner, whoever, because that has honestly been the most frequent and direct things in my life that has affected my anger and my exhaustion, and my stress levels, has been in my interpersonal relationships. And how do you want to feel? Like, how do you want that to go? That's going to be you doing a lot of work internally on a regular basis. I'm sorry cuz I know we're all tired. <laughs> but it'll get easier and the results will be so satisfying. I promise. If you're doing the work for real, not just to like get a result and not just to put on a show, not the fake it till you make it situation. Maybe you need a fake it till you make it at the beginning, but if if you're just doing it for show and just trying to like try to like front to yourself, it's not going to work. But when you do it genuinely, like I really want to solve this problem and heal within myself, this anger and this issue, things will start to shift in your own life. You know what I mean? I do it because not just because I have to, I've seen results from what's happening from healing myself and my anger and forgiving myself. So in terms of tools of like dealing with all of this, yeah, I've touched upon meditation and therapy. Exercise is a huge tool of mine. I've been working out twice a day just to like expel all this pent up energy. Anger is so helpful for when you got the right playlist and you do like a boxing workout or you're just doing weights or like going for a run. It is incredibly cathartic. It can fuel and like it's a win win situation because your body will get more fit. Your cardiovascular, Fitness will improve, you know, you'll look good, you will reduce your health bills down the line, like, you know, just be careful not to injure yourself, but exercise is a really great way to channel anger to expel energy um, in, in a positive way. And then, again, reassess at the end of it. You know, I, I work out sometimes when I'm angry, I let it out. It doesn't mean it's all gone away, but I do feel better and I feel a little bit more clear minded in order to process further from there and see like, OK, well, what is it that I really want now that I'm a little calmer? Um, listening to music, music has been a daily part of my life since quarantine started. It has been incredibly cathartic. There's very healing prop, like proven healing ability of music. So I to whatever degree you can employ that anybody who was ever a teen in my generation and listened to Linkin park you know what i mean because Linkin park was it was the sound maybe still is the music of the angry people and rest in peace to chester but he let us process our anger he let us sing it out and scream it out into our pillows or just mount like karaoke along with it and there was healing in that it's just be careful not to like let that get into a A permanent state of being. But if music can be a mechanism for you to process it, use it. You know what I mean? And then listen to something happy. Listen to like, I don't know. Who do I listen to? I listened to Celine Dion today. I got so happy I cried because I needed to feel happy and I needed to feel love and joy in the middle of like all of this crisis. Whatever you need to do, use music. Um, What I'm learning through therapy is like the active loving and forgiving of self. Um, there'll be more on that to come. I've started doing a mirror exercise that like completely broke me down as I just we're let's just go there. You know what I mean? I've been talking about this. What is life right now? We're in the middle of like this completely new normal. Let's just go there. Like any judgment or preconceived notions that you had about super spiritual woo woo stuff, just let it go. Like stop judging it. Stop thinking that you're above it or that you're below it or whatever you like, wherever you think that you are in in relation to said woo woo thing. Just let it go. Try it. Just try different things. I swear, because I was in the state that I was of like complete devastation after the breakup, fighting with my family, fighting with myself, like confronting my own demons. I have gone to that degree of like total woo woo no judging myself because because self love. That's what I have said to my brother and to my friends like do unto yourself the way that you would go for someone you outside of you that you love. And I'm pretty sure I've said this on a podcast before, but that's the way that I'm treating this. My anger has been very destructive in my life. I have not I've broken relationships. I've broken myself because of that anger. I'm tired of feeling guilty. I'm tired of feeling shame. I'm tired of feeling hopeless, like I am a lost cause. And I want to just pour love back into myself. That means that I'm going to defend and protect myself with the same degree of ferocity that I would defend my family member, that I would defend my child in the future. Like, I need to do that for myself. That means... If it means doing a mirror exercise where I look into my own eyes and sit there in my discomfort and embarrassment and tell myself that I love myself, I'm going to do it. If I'm going to look into my eyes and tell myself that I'm worthy, that I forgive myself, that I'm beautiful, and that I have so many things going for me that I believe in myself. And if that forgiveness and that level of love, which again, at the end of the day, I believe that love conquers all that we can be our own freaking hero, that we can be our own therapist, that you don't have to spend exorbitant amounts of money in order to start healing that inner child, that broken teenager inside, or that adult that just feels discouraged and hopeless. We can do things. The resources are out there. I'm here to cheer you on. You can do things to dismantle and dissipate your own anger and heal it, like for real. And that fire— I'll also let you know, is not going to go away. Some people get so attached to their anger that they feel without it. Again, it's this identity thing. Oh, like, who the hell am I without my anger? I genuinely sometimes thought that because I identified that part of me so much to being who I was that there was a part of me that intellectually thought, if I'm not angry anymore, like, who who the hell will I be? Like, so much of my fire as a person comes from anger. I've gone through a lot of healing and I feel like I'm a lot calmer and more peaceful and happy of a person but clearly I still get fired up. That fire's not gone. Honey, it's not going to go anywhere. If you got passion and if you have whatever version, maybe you're just like a cool blue fire that's just very steady and calm. To me, I feel like I'm like it can go into like full inferno mode. But like that's the issue with that's the thing about fire. My friend made it such a beautiful metaphor. You can be a fire that is part of like a stove or fireplace that warms a household or that cooks a meal that that catalyzes a process to nourish and warm people um, and create something good that can uh, purify gold that can you know there's so many great uses for that fire or you can be an inferno and be you know a forest fire or a wildfire that destroys like decimates a community or an entire countryside or whatever. You know, we've seen that definitely in L.A., how how out of control fires can be, how quickly it can spread, how—and we're seeing that right now in the masses in terms of the chaos that's happening in some of these protests and in some of—in in the police brutality itself and the injustice of this bullshit that got us here in the first place. That anger is so dangerous. There's something very dark in those police people that— should immediately disqualify them from being in a place of power where they have weapons. And that's the stuff that we need to be talking about in the first place. Not even like there's so many stupid depictions of like the rebellion. I'm going to call it the rebellion, not even the riots. The rebellion that's happening, less fixated on the rebellion and more about the freaking cause of the problem. So let's look at our own causes of problems because there's no one that's going to fully know that except for you. And no one can put it out the same way that you can. We can help each other heal for sure and be there for one another, hold space for each other, encourage each other, provide resources. I hope what I've been saying for the last hour has been helpful to you. But at the end of the day, you got to do the work. And the work doesn't have to be terrible. The work can be some of the most beautiful things that you'll ever experience. And I'm telling you that from my own experience, from the process that I've been doing lately, it turned from homework to something that I look forward to each day, like genuinely. And that's... Been pretty eye opening for me too because I did not expect that to be something I enjoyed. I looked at it like, oh God, this is just gonna be this annoying practice and this homework that I just have to do every day for the rest of my life to just deal with the fact that I've been such an angry person. But genuinely, when I'm not PMSing, like it's been really lovely. It's been wonderful. And I'm I'm learning how to feel more balanced, more centered, more grounded, more purposeful because I'm not being overridden by destructive behavior and destructive emotions and darkness that like I genuinely don't feel good about. And that fire, my anger, when it does flare up, it's not going to get lost. I know that for a fact now that it's not going to change who I am, that my purpose and my ability to move forward and get things done, that's not going to dissipate. I will always have that energy within me. And then I can also separate myself from the darkness that I just don't like and move through it. Again, I may not avoid it altogether, but I will Move through it. I want people to start journaling. I want you guys to take action externally. I encourage you to, like, once you have those conversations and do that practice within yourself, you can then move on to taking action outside of yourself to talk to people in your life, to process that anger, to heal relationships, to say, I'm sorry, to have I'm sorry be said to you, for you to forgive. All of those things are things that we can do, that we can have, that we can experience. And it's transformative. And that way the anger doesn't run us. We run the anger. We let the anger exist and then we let it not be the place that we land. And we don't act out of that anger. At the end of the day, I want to act out of love. Okay. And we can confront these root causes. We can heal them and nip them in the bud, prevent them from getting out of control. And it's a very empowering feeling. It's a very peaceful feeling that I'm continuing to experience and process every day. And I just want that for everybody else as well. Taking action externally, again, think about what you want. Does that mean making a freaking phone call to your politician's office? Does that mean registering your ass to vote because I hope that you are doing that? Does that mean filling out the census 2020 because I hope you're doing that? Is that checking in on your friend? Is that having an uncomfortable conversation about race or about sexism or about whatever, your internalized trauma? Figuring that out, taking a, a step to even just look up a therapist. You don't even have to like commit to doing it, but just commit to looking it up. There are things that will start to incrementally change and it's a one step at a time thing, but things will start to transform. Okay? And again, I'm here to cheer you on. I really believe that people have the resilience and we have the wherewithal and we have the good intentions within us to change ourselves and then therefore changing ourselves change the world outside. It's how it works. There you can't separate these two. So in this moment of turmoil and chaos, I hope that we're uh, all figuring it out and doing the little things persistently with determination and with grace and with hope and with love so that we can make things better because that's what we all really want, okay? My computer battery is about die, so I have to wrap this up. But I want to thank Marvin Ewing, my audio engineer and producer. Thank you so much, Marv. Honestly, you've been such a good friend. This podcast wouldn't exist without you. And I just have to say this. I have to admit it since I'm putting it all out there. Marvin's received a lot of angry side of me, too. And um, I just want to thank Marvin for being gracious and forgiving as a friend for dealing with me when I, like, completely break down. And I've been an asshole before so many times. Um, He's been a great friend and a great Producer. So thank you, Marvin. And thank you to Jennifer Chung for her song. Uh, I forgive you. I'm sorry for the intro and outro for this very special episode. Her music is beautiful. This song has literally brought me to tears. I hope that you'll go check it out. Buy her single. Check out her music and her husband's music. Uh, His Instagram handle is Futuristic Vintage. But he goes by Jules. Um, Music on Spotify has been so good for my soul during quarantine. And I'm a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, which is a collective of Asian-American podcasters and storytellers. Um, People have been asking me if they want to support me. You can become a Patreon patron. Go to patreon.com slash firstofallpodcast. PayPal me. If you don't want to become an ongoing Patreon member and just do a donation, you can PayPal me. Firstofallpod at gmail.com is my PayPal address. And um, yeah, if you want stickers... I got them for you. Uh, follow me at, first of all, Pod for the podcast and at Minjeezy for my personal page. I love all of you. We're going to get through this. You can find this podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. And if you enjoyed it, if it was helpful, please do share it. And I hope that it was helpful. We have more awesome stuff coming your way conversation with Janice Ho about addiction, um, my girl Lauren about playing small i have a dateable podcast collab that is so good talking about love and romance in the time of coronavirus so more things coming your way stay tuned subscribe leave a five star review spread love i love you bye i wish you were there to show me you cared so many things i wanted to share all of those times it didn't feel fair but pressure it makes a diamond so rare. So rare, so rare. I'll never ever get a chance to go back in time. Even if I did, I don't know if I'd like what I find. Feeling intervention coming from must be. Kathy! Kim! Steve? What's going on? Tell me, what do you know about K dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-Cup coffee pots, because you know they're bad for the environment? Uh, No. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listened to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So... Are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean Drama Podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean Drama Podcast at koreandramapod.com. Am I going to see sauna towel buns?